Hello, everyone. I am very excited about today's episode. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things like excuses, lies, moral acts, will make something moral or immoral, so on and so forth. So why don't we get started? So in recent times, people have been pointing out that my hair keeps getting grayer and grayer. I mean, I don't mind. It's fine. But it's like, yeah, I know it is. You know, I see myself in the mirror. I know it's getting gray. I mean, it's good to get a reminder here and there, I guess, you know, trying to be optimistic about the situation. But nevertheless, I am becoming an old man. And, you know, that's okay. I've actually, to be honest with you, I've been getting grays since I was, I think, like 16 or something like that since high school. So, yeah. Okay, enough about that. I hope everyone's Lent is going well. We are, I mean, we're not halfway there, but we're we're almost there, right? And just remember what I've been telling you about Lent, and that is to persevere, whether it keeps getting harder, whether you find yourself struggling with the things you gave up or the things you added, it's okay. Don't worry. We're almost there. And the reward for Lent is a great reward. So make sure you're putting in the quality and the time with the things that you gave up and added so that God can be satisfied with your works. Okay. I'm very excited for today because today we're going to be diving into another Basilica hymn according to the Chaldean liturgy. And This one, like I said in the beginning, is packed, and it's packed with things that are completely applicable to our lives today, okay? So why don't we get right into it, okay? This is how it begins. If you enter into judgment with your servant, O Lord God, what excuse will I find? Pause. This is major, because the the author of this Basilica hymn is really unveiling what most of our hearts contain, and that is excuses. If you were to ask yourself right now, when was the last time you gave an excuse about something, what would the answer be? I'm not going to pass judgment on anyone, but I'm pretty sure the majority of people, uh, you know, give an excuse very often. And the problem with excuses, I mean, I could go on and on about excuses and how bad they are, and I'm sure you can too, right? Everyone knows excuses are bad, but what makes an excuse even worse is that we typically call things excuses when we don't want to call them lies. And I think generally, and this is my opinion, that when we give an excuse for a certain thing, or we're called out about something, or we have to answer for ourselves for a certain act that we did, we give an excuse. And the reason why I see it as a lie is because when we're not telling the full truth and we're sort of being sneaky about the way we address something or respond to a certain thing that we did that, like I said, that we're being called out for and someone is really putting us on the hot seat, we will find any quote-unquote excuse to get out of that thing. Now, That's a very damaging thing because what happens when we continue to give ourselves excuses about certain things is we start to get used to it. And excuses then 
turn into big lies and then start to develop into a bigger sin that we never probably thought we were going to fall into. It's sort of like uh, the imagery that they use, like a snowball effect, right? Where a snowball just keeps getting bigger and bigger, the more it attracts the snow around it. And what the author is doing here is he's already presuming that he is going to give an excuse in front of God when we are judged in front of God. And of course, that could be something that would cause us to tremble, you know, being in the presence of our Creator and having to answer for certain things that we have done. And that's a reality, guys. The reality is, is we will one day stand in front of God and have to answer for the things that we have done. And if we think for a second, that we would be able to give excuses in front of God for the things we've done, we are terribly wrong because we cannot. It's not a sort of, you know, if God calls us out on a certain sin that we did, we can't say, oh, you know, look, you had to have been there. It was it wasn't my intention to do this, so on and so forth. No, it doesn't work that way. You know, we got all the opportunities in the world here on earth to prove ourselves and to be open to the will of God. And this is where the test is. And I really want to go back and emphasize something about excuses being lies, because what starts to happen when we get so used to this is we start to justify certain lies. For example, I didn't want to hurt this person, or I knew if I would say the truth that it would really damage my relationship with this person, or it would cause more trouble, so on and so forth. But the church is very clear about how there is no such thing as a just lie. And we, of course, see this through the writings in the Summa Theologica of Thomas Aquinas. He says this, and this is on the question of whether lying is a sin. He says, I answer that an action that is naturally evil in respect to its genus can by no means be good and lawful. Therefore, every lie is a sin, as also Augustine declares. So a summary of that is Aquinas is telling us that no matter what, no matter what the situation might be, a lie is a sin, period, across the board. And we even see this with understanding more about morality, right? So in moral theology, the way to know if an act is moral or immoral, there's a certain criteria that it has to fall into, uh, just like a mortal sin, right? So if you want to know whether a, an act is a moral one or immoral, you have to look at one, the object, number two, the intention, and number three, the circumstances, Okay. But with these three criteria, so let's just fill in the gap really quick. So, for example, let's say the object is abortion, okay? Someone, the, the object is uh, someone performing an abortion, okay? Or, um, excuse me, someone getting an abortion. And the intention of that person is not, maybe it's not a cruel intention, maybe they, you know, have a, a good intention of not being able to support this baby, so on and so forth. And let's say the circumstances are, I mean, I don't want to bring up like a horrific example right now, but the circumstances were 
not as good. They were probably pressured into uh, sleeping with someone, so on and so forth, whatever it is. So no matter what the intention is, no matter what the circumstances are, if the object is evil, it is a immoral act, period. So if the object is abortion, no matter what the intention is, no matter what the circumstances are, it is an immoral act, period. The intentions nor the circumstances cannot change the object, the nature of the object. And the same thing goes with a lie. If the object is a lie and the intention was maybe to not hurt someone, if they would tell the truth, and if the circumstances were, you know, they'd be caught in a, um, in a bad situation, it doesn't matter. If the object is intrinsically evil, then the entire act is evil. In any case, the Basilica hymn goes on to say, And where can I beg for forgiveness? Wow. Just like the author was presuming that he was going to find excuses in front of God, he's also presuming that there is a need of begging for forgiveness. And that is such a beautiful thing, because sometimes we could get wrapped up with our own pride that we forget how much of a debt we owe God for everything he's done for us, right? We know the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is irrepayable. And this author is recognizing that. And that's why he's saying, where can I beg for forgiveness? So it's not even like it's an option. Should I beg for forgiveness? No. Where? Where can I beg for forgiveness? And of course, the best place to beg for forgiveness is to Christ, just like Peter did when he denied Christ three times. He trusted in God's mercy, and he ran back to Christ, which allowed him to grow and become much stronger, whereas Judas did not trust in the mercy of Christ and did not know where to beg for forgiveness until it was too late for him. And I'll get much deeper into Judas and Peter later on when we get closer to Holy Week. So it continues and says, For I have rejected and broken all your laws, and have become a dead man in the greatness of my sins. So this is big because we're seeing a cause and effect aspect right now, where the cause is rejecting and breaking laws. And the effect is becoming a dead man in the greatness of my sins. And this depiction is classic in the Chaldean liturgy. We also see it in the Chaldean morning prayer. And this, and I'll read you a small excerpt of it. This is by Abraham of Nithpar, a Chaldean church father. And he says this, the just who praise God during night are alive even when they die. But the evil who deny him are dead even during their lives. For the Chaldean liturgy, you receive life in this sense, when you're praising God and acknowledging him as creator. And in the Basilica hymn, we see that we have life in us when we abide by God's laws. But when we don't, just like the Basilica hymn says, we become like a dead man in the greatness of sins. And really, that's what happens to us. Because like Thomas Aquinas says, sin darkens the intellect. When we become wrapped and begin to get, start drowning into our sins, 
we do live a life of darkness. And the people that you see living a sinful life that may look happy on you know, the outside, exteriorly happy, I have my questions and my doubts about if they are genuinely happy. Because we've heard many, I mean, sad stories about certain celebrities and rappers and act, actors, actresses, so on and so forth, who have, you know, committed suicide, who got into drugs, who got into alcohol, so on and so forth, when we would maybe see them in movies or hear their songs or see certain interviews, and you would think that they're ha the happiest people in the world because they have the money, the fame, anything people of this world could ask for. But that just goes to show you that everything that is temporal will never cause genuine happiness. So, it goes on to say, As from Sheol, from the sea of sin, draw me out in your mercy. O Christ the King, have mercy on me. And that's where it ends. And when it says the sea of sin, draw me out in your mercy... Because sin is lurking everywhere. And I'm sure many of you that are listening could attest to that, where we always need to be vigilant in this life to make sure that we're not falling into sin. Because when the author uses this language of sea of sin, he's presupposing that sin does get carried away. And that is the very nature of sin, to carry us away to make us slaves of that sin and for it to seem utterly impossible for us to detach ourselves from that sin. So that is the Basilica hymn that I wanted to comment on today, especially during this time of Lent. But anyway, now for the second segment of this podcast, The Lion's Den. Oh, by the way, I really hope you guys listen to this podcast all the way through because I am really happy with my new exit music for this podcast. Let me know how you guys like it. I most likely am going to keep it, but who knows? Let me hear your opinions. So for today's segment on The Lion's Den, and remember, this segment in this podcast is meant to talk about pretty sticky and controversial issues that are happening in today's day, and that is because it was inspired by the famous story of Daniel and the lion's den. The book of Daniel can be found in the Old Testament. If you haven't read it before, I highly encourage you to do so. It will give you a better outlook on what suffering is and how to trust God, God's will at every moment of your life. In any case, Today, what I want to talk about is cancel culture, because I've been seeing it more and more often, especially on Twitter, where someone says something, says a certain belief, and then if one side of the aisle does not like what they hear, because it doesn't follow a certain political agenda, or doesn't follow a certain uh, standard of beliefs that, quote-unquote, uh, you're supposed to be following— this person gets canceled. And to be honest with you, this is something that is utterly unfair and causes people to hold back from speaking the truth or speaking their mind because of this idea of 
the cancel culture. And I'll be honest with you, this is a very cheap way out of wanting to hear the truth is intimidation. And that is exactly what the cancel culture is. It is it is intimidation where someone gets intimidated uh, from their jobs, gets pressure put on by people around them to retract a certain thing or a certain statement that they said just because it didn't sit well with certain people. Well, what the truth is, is exactly what Christ says. Proclaim the truth on the mountaintops. And that is what Christ teaches us. And that is the way we need to look at truth. We cannot shy away from truth because we're afraid of being canceled by people. We cannot shy away from speaking the truth because we're afraid to offend anyone. That's not really the truth is problem, if that actually sounded pretty weird, but you get what I mean. When we know the truth, we should be confident that God will continue to protect us and God will continue to be on our side because it is a high reward it is also a high risk, especially for people who are in the societal lens who will receive probably way more criticism than, you know, an average person that is not uh, in the public eye. But in any case, that's my opinion on the cancel culture. It's not fair. It's a bully tactic, and it's a very cheap way out with wanting and forcing someone to agree with you by threatening them with their jobs, with their social life, with embarrassment, so on and so forth. So that concludes this episode for today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and ask me there. But if not, I'll see you next time.